Hi, podcast listeners. I am really excited to introduce to you today Ed Tate. And Ed is the 2000 World Champion of Public Speaking for Toastmasters Worldwide, where he was the last man standing after 35,000 contestants. I just find that alone amazing for the stamina and focus, a sustained focus to do that. Ed, would you just say a couple of things about yourself and what your focus is right now? So I have been, like I said, I won the World Championship of Public Speaking in the year 2000, and that was a life-altering event. It is a uh, approximately year-long competition, 35,000 contestants, and in the year 2000, I was the last speaker standing. I always tell people it's like the American Idol of public speaking. I have been around the world uh, 10 times. I've spoken in 25 different countries. I love what I do for a living. And not that the computer industry was bad. It was, I have no regrets about being an executive in a computer industry, but it's true what they say. If you find something that you love to do and you can get paid for it, then you, you never work again. So that, that part is very, very true. I'm a former executive in the computer industry, and I just wrote a blog post where I said, you know, I have seen so many horrible presentations. And I said, and, and I said here's the absolute positive way to guarantee that you'll give a, uh, a presentation that really sucks. Don't practice. You know, and what um, what most executives I and I used to do the same thing. Only time I would practice is I would have a couple of notes. I'd be walking down the hallway, and then I would step into the room, and I would just give, I would just wing it. And that's the most common type of business presentation. That person has been successful, him or her, for whatever reason, and they don't feel they have the need to practice. So in this on this blog post, I gave twelve different tips on how to practice uh, your presentations. But that you know that's never going to go away. I'm going to be employed forever. Because, you know, business presentations that suck, they're never going to go away. They're always, it's always going to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've experienced one or two. I've you know? delivered one or two. So <laughs> I'd like to say I haven't, but I sure have. And I have two. I have two. You know, so we all have. And actually, I, I wanted to write this contrarian article, if you will, not just another same old, same old. So I said, you know, it's frankly, it's either arrogance or laziness or both, you know, so you know, are you arrogant? Are you lazy? You know, do you want to get better? And then I give the 12 tips, you know, so what, but you know what, but this also ties into your theme. As a matter of fact, I had a, a conversation with my daughter-in-law over the weekend and she feels stuck. She feels that she, her job is driving her crazy. It's actually physically and mentally draining her, but she doesn't feel that she can leave because, you know, she feels she has financial obligations, even though my, my, my son has said, look, leave the job, you know, leave it, you know, she feels that she has to do so many things. And, and it seems like in our society that women are like, they're, the, they're the, the plate spinners. They spend so many different plates. And one of my favorite lessons is from a, a buddy of mine. His name is Roger Malat. He was a former stress therapist, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. And he calls it the, the pie theory. What's your favorite pie? Cherry. Cherry. Oh, I'm right there with you. So I, I need a moment. <laughs> I am right there with you. So your favorite pie is equal to the amount of energy that you're given in a day. Sometimes the amount of energy you have in a, in a day is, you know, it's that big. And what Rogers says is you must save a slice of energy pie for you. And you give that slice to yourself first and foremost. It's not about you being selfish, it's about making sure that the people who are around you, they get what they need. Because if you don't get what you need, 
then they're not going to get what they need. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. the first is to always, 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 always save a slice of pie for you. Save a slice of energy for yourself. I, I share this concept with a lady in Kentucky, and she says, I have, a, I have a pie chair. I says, ma'am, what's a pie chair? She says, it's a lazy boy chair. And she says, I have this uh, 10-foot circle around the chair. And I says, okay, I'm listening. And she says, like, for the first half hour when I get home, I go straight to the lazy boy chair. None of my children, not even the pets or my husband, can bother me for the first 30 minutes while I'm in that chair. And she says, sometimes they line up behind the circle, behind the line. <laughs> but that's an example of she's saving some pie for herself. Think about it. Okay, if you have a regular job. So like my son and his wife, they commute two hours every day. I have a home-based business. I can't even imagine that. Two hours every day in New York traffic. So that's, that adds up to like, I don't know, several weeks, a year, two hours a day. I mean, it adds up really, really quickly. You're kind of stressed out going to work. Work has its own stresses. Then you you come home and you're like a little stressed out. And then there, you have other household duties, responsibilities, etc. And then guess what? You fall asleep at night. And then guess what? You got to repeat all over again. And, I, and then if you're, if you're a mom, you've got kids, you've got responsibilities. Oh, by the way, there's this thing called a spouse over here. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. Save some pie for you. Save some energy for yourself. You know, it's not about you being selfish. It's making sure that those around you who need you will get what they want. So my first lesson to your listeners, you know, and I literally have audience members stand up and I say, and I have them point to each other. You know, I says, no pie for you. <laughs> you know? And they'll be shaking their hands and they'll be laughing, but I'm serious. You know, save some pie, save some energy for yourself. Another thing is we have to learn how to not be concerned about other people's opinions or other people's judgments. So I call this the shoe theory. All right. I have a crazy pair of shoes. I, I would get them for you because I, I didn't know we we're going to be talking about this, but I, I love shoes and I got this one pair that's a really crazy pair. My son, David, the first time he said, he says, dad, I didn't realize that you were a pimp. You know, I mean, these are crazy shoes. People have, they like them or they don't like them. They, they never say they're all right. There's no neutral when it comes to these shoes. Now I wear these shoes just to have fun, but there's a lesson here. The lesson is this, the same is true about you. People have an opinion about you, just like they have an opinion about the shoes. They like you or they may not like you, but they're seldom if ever neutral about you. You might as well wear the shoes that you want. Control the conversation. But because between me being upset and you being upset, <laughs> I choose you. <laughs> and I would choose you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Stop being so concerned about what other people think. Because, you know, sometimes we're concerned about what other people think. And, you know, we don't even, we're trying to impress people we don't know. And we don't even like. And yet they're controlling the conversation. I'll give you a perfect example. I worked my way through college as a disc jockey. I mean, as a, at a regular radio station, that's how I paid for my way through school. I was the number one disc jockey for four and a half years straight. Every moment I was on the radio, I was the top disc jockey. Something happened my last year. Last year, the, the radio station said, hey, Ed, since you're the number one radio station disc jockey, what we're going to do is we're going to put your photos on billboards and buses and benches and all this other stuff. So they, for the first time, people were actually going to see what it actually looked like. And actually, it, it turned into something that was like a little bit disturbing, to be honest with you, because like oh, for the first time, people didn't realize I was black. And I, I started to get like some really nasty phone calls. 
you know, I actually even got some threats. And they got to the point where we actually had uh, an armed guard would just walk me to my car just based on some of the, the threats. So anyway, I got an invitation from Chicago. There's a radio station called WLS in Chicago. At the time, it was the number one radio station in America. They said, hey, we hear you're pretty good, et cetera. You've got good numbers. We'd like to interview you. And I got to tell you, those negative comments, those threats, I didn't even show up for the interview. I never went for the interview. I actually left the radio industry. Here's, here's what it did to me. It did several things. Number one, I love answering the phone. To me, that was the most fun part of the entire job. Because people say, hey, God, God, man, you're, you're playing my favorite songs. And I would talk to uh, different types of people. And every now and then, you get this really negative, nasty call from someone who's like, why are you playing this type of music, whatever it may be. That's not what they said. But it got to the point where we actually brought in a crew of people to answer the phone. So the most fun part of the job got taken away from me. It got taken away by the trolls. I said to myself, wow, it was trolls who controlled my behavior. I will never let a troll control my behavior ever again. Because it's so easy to do what I call, nowadays it's called, I call them keyboard drive-bys. You can say anything that you want that you would never say to a person's face. You would never say to a person's face. But like, you know, on a keyboard, you can type whatever the heck you want about that person and that individual. I had an experience once where that happened. And you know what I did? I actually called the people up. I actually tracked them down, addressed them face to face. You know what they are? Cowards. Every single person back down. Every person said there was a mistake. It was an error. I'm sorry. You called me blank. I'm sorry. How did I misinterpret that? Don't let the trolls stop you from your your job or your position or your dream or your aspiration. So let me pause you there, Ed. I want to ask you a question about that. What I'm curious about is when you were at that place where the trolls stopped you basically from your WLS interview, did you feel that you had lost something or how did you make a shift because you're very public once again and you're Mm -hmm. very engaged with people? So what was the transition both short-term and longer-term from that experience to, you know, even a few years after that? Well, what happened was when I, when I first got the radio job, everyone kept telling me, this is like, okay, this is a good hobby. Parents, you know, friends, et cetera. They're saying, like, hey, this is a nice hobby, but when are you going to get a real job? Even though I loved it, I enjoyed it, et cetera. So those chores forced me, okay, maybe it's just time for me to get a real job. And I went out and got a real job. And and I was an executive in the computer industry for 17 years. And I have no regrets about that whatsoever. And that being said, I didn't fit here. I wasn't supposed to be here. And it was, there was always something in my head around that. And then when I got involved in Toastmasters and I won the world championship and my whole life changed. Oh, my God. Then my life changed. Holy moly. You know, it's beyond my wildest dreams. And I felt, wow, I've gotten an, an, I got a second chance in a different venue, if you will. And since then, I remember the lesson from the radio station. So do I get criticism? I get criticized all the time. Do people complain? Of course they do. That's what people do. But I'm going to tell you, the vast majority of people love what I do. And we have to be okay with setting aside other people's judgments because other people's judgments are the things that stop us. You know, it's just like you're so concerned about fitting in that, you know, what's your plan? When are you going to speak up for yourself? When are you going to be you? When are you going to do the thing that you want to do as opposed to being worried about other people's judgments? So the thing I'm inviting you to do is say yes, thank you, and keep moving forward, whatever that may be for you. And sometimes you're related to these people. 
for example, I'll tell you another, another example. So I used to be an artist, all right? I went two scholarships, Art Institute in Chicago, once when I was nine, the other when I was 13. When I was nine years old, my aunt, Pat, who was my idol, she was an African-American woman who was just one of the best artists I've ever seen in my life. She grew up in the 1950s. The first time I went to art scholarship, she's very, very encouraging. The second time I went to art scholarship, I was 13 years old. I won an adult scholarship. So I actually beat out adults. I was used to being teased by my teammates, the baseball team. I was used to being teased by everyone else. But the one person I looked up to was my aunt, Pat. And Pat said to me, she says, you know, that's nice, but, you know, you'll never make any money from this. Now, I got to tell you, those words coming from her, they were hard to hear. They were very hard to hear. I finished the scholarship and I never picked up a paintbrush ever again. Now, looking back on it, what I recognize is my aunt Pat, she was an African-American woman in the 50s trying to make it as a painter. In her own way, she was trying to protect me from the pain that she had gone through. Now I recognize that. Now I realize that. So again, that's another example of someone very, very close to you. The people closest to us are the ones who say words that can hurt the most. And we have to protect ourselves. We have to be prepared for that. We have to be ready for that. And, and ask yourself, if they do criticize me, if they don't support me, Am I just going to give up? Am I going to quit? Will I stop? By the way, people are predictable. You know what? You are a, you're a fortune teller. I can, and I can prove it to you. And I can prove it to your listeners as well. Uh, I'm going to prove it to you. Are you ready? Absolutely ready. Go for it. Okay. All right. We just had the 4th of July. In the 4th of July of 2019, what are some things that will take place? Fireworks. Boom. Heat waves, fires. <laughs> Fire, okay. Uh, Dogs and cats running away. Okay. Uh, will there be uh, maybe barbecues? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, will there be perhaps alcohol? Probably a lot of it. Okay. So, okay. That's, so that's, you know, boom. You are a fortitude. Okay. Um, New Year's Eve. What are some things that will take place? Many of the same things. <laughs> <laughs> Plus people singing badly, right? <laughs> What I'm saying is there are certain things, there are certain behaviors which are predictable. If you change from who you are, your identity as people know it, and you try to be something else, guess what? I'm going to predict someone's going to complain about that. And since someone's going to complain about that, it's not if, it's when, and it may surprise you as to who, but someone will complain about it. The question for you is this. This is something that you know that's going to happen. Why wouldn't you prepare for it? So how do you prepare for it? Because I know that that's what listeners are going to want to know. You know, it's that sense of, okay, I know it's coming, mm-hmm. but when it happens and you, maybe you think you're prepared and maybe you're not, but how do you prepare for it? Is there something that you've done or is it just repetition of experience? Well, it's just, okay. So what are some possible things that people will say? And they, people will give you clues. <laughs> they give you, you can actually not tell people you're going to do something and say, Hey, well, let's just have a, a conversation. What do you think about this? And you can, you can predict what people, how people are going to respond to things. So I'll just write down what they would say, you know, if I'm going to do this and how, and the, the most important thing is how are you going to respond? It's not what they're going to say is what you're going to, how you're going to respond and what you're going to do. So like, will this be a disappointment for your spouse? Will this be a disappointment for your parents? How will you respond? Are you going to quit or are you going to move forward? Here's one thing you do need to do is surround yourself with other people who share the same vision. So for example, when I left the computer industry, Steve Fante, Steve Fante was a person who I worked for. Here's a guy who had made north of $30 million in the computer industry. He's a person I really admired. I think he was a very successful individual. 
So when I first told him I was going to go into the speaking business, he said, Ed, don't do that. He says, you'll end up like an actor. You'll be a waiter. You know, you'll just be waiting tables. Didn't expect that. But again, I was kind of prepared for it. I was prepared for from other people. But all of a sudden it occurred to me, like he had a certain set of eyeglasses and that's the only way to make money is through computers. So he had on his computer glasses. I was talking to him about something completely different, something that he had no experience in whatsoever. So I said, you know what? There must be other people who are trying to do this. And that's when I got involved in the National Speakers Association. And guess what? There's an organization that says, hey, do you want to be a speaker? We're going to help you become a speaker. So you got to surround yourself with a support group that supports your vision. So if you're a female entrepreneur, guess what? Join female entrepreneur groups. Be a part of this network, your podcast. That's what your podcast is all about. You got to surround yourself with people who share the same vision and have the, the same uh, support system who will help build you up as opposed to knocking you down. Does that make sense? So to me, I think that's absolutely critical. That makes perfect sense. And I can look back over the big changes in my own life. And there's always a handful of people who were a little freaked out about it, partly because it meant it was going to be something they would lose. Not yeah. necessarily our relationship, but what I might have done or represented for them. I think I was 24 or 25 at the time. And I was similar to your daughter-in-law in a, in a job that was not good for me. And I knew it. Mm. I'm making really good money. You know, my parents can relax. My uncle wrote me a letter and I, he said, how's it going? And I said, I need to leave this job. And my, my parents were never like worry works. They just said, yeah, go do whatever. This was the mm. first time that I heard hesitation when I said, I'm leaving a job. My dad's like, well, what? In all my years, you've never paused. And so I wrote his, I wrote, I wrote his brother. And his brother just wrote me back, and um, which is cool. I still have the letter. But he said, you have to understand that the only reason your parents are hesitating is they worry for you. And if, if they were giving someone else, non-family, had said that, they wouldn't care. They'd say, go for it. He goes, I know my brother. He just is worried. And then he says, so let me tell you, just go after what you want. And, nice. that, and that was the piece. I got what I needed from him, but it was a, a little eye-opener to say that even when people who love you give you reactions, sometimes it's just them putting their own worries on you or whatever, they, because it's the, what you just said, the different set of glasses being worn at the time. I, I totally get that, and it would have been nice for me to have the advice to think ahead of how I wanted to respond, <laughs> because my responses <laughs> weren't always as adult as I would have liked and that's the importance of a support group as well. You know what? I am about to be the person that I'm describing that you shouldn't be like, right? So my, my son goes to Georgetown University, graduates in the top 5%. It is 2008, so we've got the worldwide economic crisis. So I'm, I'm very, very concerned that, you know, is he going to be able to get a job? So one day he calls me up. He says, Dad, um, I got a job. I'm thinking like, great, this is awesome. You know, how much, you know, are you going to get paid? And, you know, what are the benefits? And he says like, um, uh, there is no salary and there's no benefits. I says, son, that's not a job. That's a volunteer position. <laughs> and he was working for New York Life Insurance. Now, both me and my, my former wife, Kathy, were stunned because he's an introvert, quiet kid never expressed any interest in anything that would require this type of skill, especially selling insurance literally door to door. And I was, and I was like, I was stunned. And I'm saying to myself, man, we spent all this money on the, and I was, it was a complete, I was the absolute worst in terms of support. So, but I will say this, a couple of weeks later, he calls me up. He says, dad, you coach people, right? And I said, yeah. He says, can you coach me? And I said, sure. 
And uh, so uh, every Sunday I would call him up and, you know, just give him like a game plan. And he, he got success. So I speak, a year later, I speak at Million Dollar Roundtable, which is a top 1% of insurance agents on planet Earth. David gets a chance to come along with me. So we're backstage. Guess who the speaker is in front of me? The president of New York Life Global, the man. So we're backstage in the green room. And I tell him the story. It's like, I, the first thing I said to him, I says, hey, by the way, your company has brought me and my son closer together. He says, tell me more. And I told him how I reacted once David graduated from, like, from college. And I says, you know, and then I coached him for a year. And, you know, he's gotten a couple of awards. You know, frankly, he's gotten a lot more confident. And honestly, I was wrong. He goes out and tells that story on stage. And like, today, my son, he's, uh, he's still with New York Life and he's vice president. So I've apologized to my son on multiple occasions. His son, I was completely wrong. I was 100% wrong. I was so wrong. And I, ho- I hope you can forgive me. I said, and you were right. You saw something that I didn't see. So, and, and, we're, and we're super close and we're super tight today. But I, I did the thing that I'm telling everyone else not to do. And, this, and it's, it's the worry piece. Back in 2008, it was madness in terms of money fears. They were running rampant. You know, I'm thinking like, oh my God, no, he's going to be homeless, you know. And I'm thinking like, we've spent like $50,000 a year. <laughs> you know, so anyway. It is important for us to remember that as good as we can be at helping others, when it gets close to us, our biases become kind of invisible to us. Our knee-jerk yeah, they, reactions, yeah. they do yeah. kick in. It's kind of nice to be able to say you're sorry later to go, yeah, my bad, you know, you totally <laughs> yes, got that right. Oh, here's something funny. Okay. So he's a vice president in training for the company, my business, my industry. And I said, I'm sorry. And here's the other thing. Look, when I was speaking, like in high school and in college, when he had presentations, he never wanted to take any advice from me. Never wanted to take any advice from me whatsoever. And I said, so David, when you took this job, tell me about the interview. <laughs> tell me, how did that go? He says, well, I just told him, I said, my dad is a world champion of public speaking and we might be able to bring him in occasionally. <laughs> so I said, you kept me out for this job. He says, of course I did. But isn't that what all kids do? And we had a big laugh up. <laughs> Nowhere yeah. in the papers does it tell you that. But. <laughs> but that actually is part of, you know, what's important for us to reflect on that you've already shared, Ed, is being able to take a step back and recognize that as your son did, that he needed your help. He asked for coaching from you instead of just butting heads and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's like, okay, I could use some help. I'm wondering how often you find that is important for other people to do, whether it's in speaking or anything, how often you see that or recommend that to people that they look for mentors or people to help them. Einstein had this one concept and it was called holding time. And fully like, for example, typically time is linear. Okay. So like, like, you know, it, you know, to get from here to there, it takes a certain amount of time, but folding time is basically how much can you get done in a shorter period of time? You're looking at time uh, in terms of distance and mentors and coaches help you get there faster as opposed to you doing it yourself. You know, for example, I used to live in Denver, Colorado. I used to have a sprinkler, a sprinkler guy. His name was Rob. I had an underground sprinkler system. So one year, I turned on my sprinkler system, and I had this big leak in the front yard. I call up Rob. Rob tells me it's going to cost me $500. I'm thinking $500. I can do this myself. 
you know. Now, keep in mind, I have no expertise in underground sprinkler systems whatsoever, okay? The only thing I can do is push the lawnmower. That's, that's my lawn skills. That's it. So this is back in the day before we had Facebook, Google, you know, YouTube, all these other things. But I did find a video of a guy who had actually fixed his own sprinkler system in Georgia. It only cost him $25. So I'm thinking like, hey, I can go to Home Depot. I can get this $25 part. But in the meantime, I, my soon-to-be ex-wife, Kathy, she hears my scheme and she says, pay Rob his money. I says, I've got this. I can do this. So anyway, I'll never forget. It took me six or seven hours of back-breaking work. I have never been so tired in all my life. Um, so anyway, I finally fix it. I turn on the water. The sprinkler system looks beautiful. I knock on the living room window to get Kathy's attention. She comes out. The moment she comes out, it explodes. It, it freaking blows up. I mean, it was just like, it just goes boom. There's sprinkler system parts. There is soil sod. My, I actually ruined a part of my next door neighbor's yard. He had like rocks. There were rocks everywhere. And so I'm, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm a wise man. I know not to make eye contact with Kathy at, in this moment. So I whip out my cell phone, call up Rob. He must have sensed the desperation in my voice. And how much do you think it costs now? I'm guessing you're upwards of $1,500 by now. Man, you are good. <laughs> $1,500 plus an additional $800 to fix the neighbor's yard. Plus, Rob is a very savvy businessman. Cash only, no checks, no credit cards. So go to the bank to get the money. In the meantime, we have a neighborhood watch group, and they have a motto, and that says, if you see something, say something. So she thought it was the bomb, and she calls the police. So I come back. I have the police department. I have the fire department. There is an ambulance in front of my house. Now, in the meantime, neighbors are gathering in front of my yard. You know, there's about 10 or 12 of them. And, you know, my next door neighbor, Ed, you know, we heard, you know, there was a bomb. Are you and your family okay? I mean, it didn't spread. And a bomb it went off in my yard. It was crazy. I was just trying to fix my sprinkler system. Uh, Rob, the sprinkler guy, shows up. It takes him longer to get his equipment off the truck than it did to make the repair. He has this like little piece of equipment that looked like a, a chainsaw with wheels. And he just goes, zip, zip. He does something like this, this fancy motion, and he is done. I hand him the $1,500. Plus, I later on gave him $800 after he fixed my neighbor's yard. Get help. That's, all, that's my advice. <laughs> okay, so how long did it take you to start laughing at that story after it happened? Oh, it was years. But it took me, I, I'm going to say, at least five or six years to, to actually, you know, see the humor in that one. <laughs> but the whole point is this, you know, don't do it alone. Don't, don't go solo. Find a mentor. Find someone who's already doing what you like. One of the things I did, I think that worked out really well in my corporate life, is I would see an executive, he or she, who was very successful, and I would say, can I pick your brain? You know, how did you get so successful so quickly? I was amazed at the number of executives and CEOs who would spend hours with me telling me how they did it. They would share their secret sauce. I was absolutely blown away. And after, after a while, it became one of my habits. You know, I said, well, how did you get from here? To, what did you do? And they would always share their secrets. In the National Speakers Association, it's the same thing. I went to Mark Sanborn, who's a Hall of Fame speaker, the past president of our association. How'd you do this? And he spent all types of time with me. When you talk about people being willing to give up their time to help somebody else, 
I really think about that as those pay it forward kinds of things. So what for the folks that have been very successful who just do that, right, as a matter of course, um, mm -hmm. have you ever asked them how much time they spend doing that and why they do that or for yourself as well? Ooh. I have never, I, didn't, I have not asked that question, how, how much time they've done that for others. Um, I, I have a unique habit and if I buy a book, I'll actually call it the author. And I've had at least, I'm going to say, um, this is anecdotal, about 60% of the authors call me back or respond to me. So I think it's up to you to ask. Always ask. And I'll, I learned this lesson from my, uh, my, my cousin. I'm going to call, let's, let's call him Pretty Ricky. So let me tell you how Pretty Ricky was. My cousin Ricky was so handsome that we used to go to parties and girls would unsolicited hand him phone number. So he knew in high school that I liked a girl by the name of Lolita Barnes. I was painfully shy. And he said, Eddie, what are you doing? Prom's coming up. I know you like Lolita. Ask her out. And I said, you know, she's beautiful. At the time, she was a class valedictorian, and she had just been named the prom queen. And I'm thinking, like, she, you know, she'd never go out with a guy like me. He says, let me ask you a couple questions. Question number one, is she going out with you now? I said, no. If, she's, if you ask her and she says no, will she be going out with you in the future? No. So she's not going out with you now. If you ask her, she says, no, she won't be going out with you in the future. Is that correct? I said, yeah. So basically nothing's changed. But if you ask her, then everything changes. He said, don't you say no before they say no. Never take yourself out of the game. Never tap out. Always ask. That's the only good advice I've ever got from my cousin, Pretty Ricky. Always ask. Don't tap out. Never take yourself out of the game. Because if you don't ask, the answer is no. The answer is always no if you don't ask, and your life will never change. I think that's a really powerful lesson. If you don't ask or you don't start, you're in the same place you were, yeah. and nothing has changed. I just took a mini vacation. Why mini vacations? Because when I've discovered, I haven't taken a real vacation or like you know the two, you know, two to three-week vacation or even like a week-long vacation for a number of years. And I keep postponing things because I get so busy. But so far this year, I've taken two micro vacations. That is, you know, four or, you know, four or five days or less. And I love it. You know, it is a complete recharge or complete refresh. I had so much fun this weekend, and I'm really excited about attacking this week. So I think it's really, really important for us to save some pie for yourself. So we also had a tragedy in our family. We had a... Um, uh, one of um, my nephews who passed away, and he had diabetes, and he's approximately the same age as my son, David. And what, what would happen if that was David? And I think that regret is far worse than any pain that you can endure. And if something had happened to my son and I didn't make that trip, I would regret that for the rest of my life. So that, and I said to myself, you know what? That's not going to happen to me. This is not going to be a regret. I had so much fun this weekend. There were things and conversations I could have never anticipated that took place because I moved forward. I just, I just pulled the trigger. So I'm encouraging your listeners to do the same thing. There's so many good things that will happen in your life, whatever your dream or your passion is, and you can't anticipate them. I know that people fear things and they, that, that fear that stops them. But you know what? There's a lot of good that happens as well that you won't experience. If you never pull the trigger, if you never move forward and take a chance and take a risk. How many more do you plan to do? And do you already have them on your calendar? 
I don't have them on my calendar, but I do have two planned in my head. You know, so as a matter of fact, we just got back my wife. So my wife is from South Africa. So we're going to, that's probably going to be turning into a real vacation because it's a mini vacation just to get there. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to definitely go to South Africa this year, if not this year, the first of next year. And then I want to have uh, a, uh, just me and my son vacation, you know, just me and him just to spend some time. I have several friends who they spend vacations with each one of their children just by themselves. You know, so like one parent will take one child, the other parent will take the other child, and they'll just spend time alone, just one-on-one time with that child. And it's a tradition that I've always admired, and both the children rave about it and the parents rave about it. So that's something I've always wanted to do. So that's something David and I have talked about this year. It's just him and I, you know, maybe we'll, I don't know, we'll go skiing or something. We haven't decided exactly what that's going to look like, but that's the one I'm really, really looking forward to. You talked about one of your success tips is making sure things are on a calendar, not just a list or in your yes. In your parting words, what are the tips, one of your productivity tips, and then I want to know about presentation, resuscitation. <laughs> All right, so one thing that helps me is there's something called the Entrepreneurial Time Management System. Just Google it. The author's name eludes me at this moment. And what I do is I actually plan my weeks on Sunday. And there's only so many things I can accomplish in a day. I believe in scheduling your success. And what I mean by that is make an appointment with yourself to actually accomplish whatever goals or tasks or projects you're working on that week. So, for example, for me, health is important to me. So me and my wife, we like to work out together. So on on Sunday... We actually, we actually do something called a double. There's, you know, we have a health club and we actually took two classes on Sunday. On Monday night, my wife likes to go to this butt class. <laughs> it actually says it right here. But <laughs> anyway, I just, I just put it there. Tuesday night, uh, Shred, which is a weightlifting class. There's another weightlifting class I went to on Wednesday. Thursday, I went to a cycling class and then Saturday, cycling class. And then actually, I'm like something called a dragon boat team. So we have practice on Sunday. So I actually scheduled all my exercise. It's on my calendar. It's not on my to-do list. There's a difference. You know, it's the, it's the calendar that's the most powerful part of your, your planning system. It's not necessarily your to-do list. I'm just going to talk about myself. When I used to have, I used to have too many things on my to-do list and I would have what I call carryover. I would carry over the incompletions. It would just go from one day to another day, from one week to another week. By focus, by scheduling my success, I'm getting so much more done. I'm actually going to say on what day, I'm making an appointment with myself to attack that project, whatever it is. So for example, this week, I'm scheduling my success. Got a brand new website I want to launch this month. So from nine o'clock tomorrow to 1130, I'm with my web developer, Brian. Guess what? I'm going to get some progress on my website. That that program I was telling you about, Train the Trainer, Wednesday from one o'clock until four o'clock, we're going to work on that project. We're going to make some progress. I make sure that whatever projects I'm working on I put them on my calendar. I don't put them necessarily on my to-do list. Presentation, resuscitation, basically is breathing life into business presentations. That's what we're talking about here. And so what are some things that you can do to breathe life into your business presentations? Number one, there's three elements of an opening. And I'm not just talking about the opening of your presentation. I'm talking about uh, an opening for every idea you have in your presentation. So if you have, you're presenting and you've got four concepts you want to cover, all four concepts must have their own unique opening. 
they also must have their own uh, unique closing. And then you transition in between ideas. An opening is, uh, there's three elements. You break preoccupation, you frame the message, and you jump into the content. What do I mean by breaking preoccupation? No preamble, no pre-ramble. Your job is to grab and, and, and keep the attention of audience members. And you can do that multiple different ways. But use it creatively. Okay, so if you start off with PowerPoint for your first idea, do not use PowerPoint for your next idea. Use something else. Use audience participation. Use a startling statistic. Use what, whatever creativity that you have to introduce that idea. Because sameness is the enemy of a presenter. When you present any idea, any concept, the same as previous ideas or concepts, or you sound like other presenters, people automatically tune out. So if you want people to tune out to your presentation, here's the secret. Look and sound like everybody else. If you look and you sound like everybody else, guess what? You're guaranteed to be boring. Anyone want a part of that? <laughs> Break preoccupation. Again, um, use creativity to open up your presentation. Frame the message in one sentence or less. What is your presentation about or what is your idea about? So again, typically I'm speaking in front of executives and my goal is to help them breathe life into their business presentations. That's my one sentence. If you can't say it in a sentence, if you're telling me a story, you're not clear. Not a story, a sentence. And if you can get it into a sentence, you're clear about what your presentation is about. And again, you know, just jump into the content. No preamble, no preamble, just get on with it and, and just go. So that, that's a tiny synopsis, a very small piece of what presentation resuscitation is all about. And that's just the opening. Well, I'm excited to hear more about that as you go. And your train the trainer program as that gets rolled out. So I'll be following you. And we will also put in the show notes links to what you've done and are doing. And mm -hmm. summer, summer has all that. So you know you will be, you will be shared. And okay, thank you. I just want to thank you again for taking time. As I said earlier, I had to juggle also with plan B as you did with your plane. This is, a, <laughs> this is an interesting day of unexpected that turned out really kind of cool. So, oh, well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate uh, being a part of your show. Well, thank you, Ed. So that's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.